Well, good morning, Rock Harbor. This is uh, by far the best-looking audience I've seen this morning. So give it up for yourselves, right? It's a good day to be at Rock Harbor. Uh, We had the missions team that went to Mexico come back last night, and uh, we didn't lose one. So they had a great trip. They built a couple houses down there, ministered with some families, and and it was really a, a cool thing. Uh, Keith and Scott both are off right now, and so uh, they're with family and and getting a time of refreshment. So if uh, you have anything that you want to talk about, uh, about the church, anything that you, you know, have any concerns about, John Link is your guy. So I would say this week's your week, right? Just give him an email, let him know you don't like something or whatever, or tell him that you like him. I don't know, but... uh, it's, uh, we're having a, a good time this week. We're going we're gonna to continue in 2 Corinthians 8, and the topic this morning is generosity. And, uh, and I, you know, we looked at that, and I thought, wow, all right, we're coming out of the groundbreaking last week, and now we've got, you know, the old guy elder coming out this week talking about generosity. Man, there must be an ask for money going to happen in here some way, right? Can I get an amen? All right. We're not asking, all right? There's no ask today. This isn't about uh, giving towards the capital campaign. This is about what Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians 8 as we're working through that book. And it's about personal generosity and it's about generosity of the church. And, and I've been thinking about it um, this week about generosity in my life because uh, that's the only context I really have. And there's a couple observations that I've made. The first is, as I get older, as I've progressed through life, uh, it, it feels like it becomes harder to be generous. So like when you're a kid and you're riding around on your bike and, you know, another kid says, man, I love your bike. Can I have your bike? Well, see, why not here? Here's my bike, right? And you're generous until you get home and your parents say, where's your bike, right? And, uh, and then you got to figure out how you're going to get your bike back from Timmy. But as I, as I think about my life and as I progress and I, you know, I got a career and started to accumulate some things, my sense is that my grip on that stuff started to tighten a little bit. I'd earned it, I needed it, I wanted it, and I, and I, and I started to hold on. And the older I get, and even now, uh, it, it feels like it's just a little harder to be generous. The second thing is that society gives us a very different message, right? A society, all week long, we're out there and it's blaring, accumulate and dominate, okay? Accumulate what you can and dominate in your hobbies, in the things that you buy, in the way that your kids look, in the sports that they're in, everything else, accumulate and dominate. And then I walk into church or I pick up my Bible during the week and I read something like Matthew 6, Uh, 19 through 21, and I'm going to abbreviate it, but what Jesus says is, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if if I'm honest, and uh, I told the last service it'd probably be good if I was honest, at least this morning, uh, when when I walk in or when when I come, when I butt up against that, there's an internal conflict that arises. Because honestly, I like my stuff. Um, I like my free time. I like my hobbies. Uh, and, And how do I fit that with what Jesus is saying to you and to me 
about not storing up my treasures on earth, but in heaven. And I feel this conflict. Now, I'm no uh, physicist. I'm no scientist. Uh, I can barely add and subtract. Um, My dad was a doctor. I was supposed to be a doctor, and I fell asleep in my ninth grade biology final. Uh, Literally, a pool of drool right on the paper. And it became very clear, science really isn't your thing, John. Uh, But I did read about the principle of of mass and gravity this week. Um, And the idea that if there's more mass, the greater the gravitational pull. Can anyone say amen if I'm right? Okay, so we're doing okay. All right. And so the larger the mass, the greater the pull towards that mass. Okay, we're all tracking. And so I, I thought about this in, in the context of, of my personal generosity and over the years, and, and there were three things. The first is that the busier I get, the more mass that accumulates and things I need to get done, the busier I get, the less generous I become. I thought that was, you know, I was kind of reflecting on that. And then I was thinking about this, and, and you probably don't have a problem with this, uh, but I do. The greater I perceive my own importance, the cooler I think I am, the more important I believe myself to be, the less I'm inclined to be generous. And I don't know why. The third thing is, uh, the more money I have, the more I accumulate, the more the pull is to use it for myself. Uh, if I earned it, I want to spend it. And, and these are the kind of trends that I've seen uh, through my life. And I'm probably the last person who should be talking on this, quite honestly, because it's something that I wrestle with a lot. Um, and as you get older, the wrestle changes. So uh, I'm 56 years old. There's some of you here who may be older. There's some of you who may be younger. Uh, some of you may be shocked that I'm 56. Uh, I don't know. Um, but there's something that happens as you get older. Uh, like I have right now, um, uh, I have this insatiable desire to buy a convertible. And, and I'm not lying about this, all right? I'm not. It is like, if you put a convertible top on a Ford Fiesta, I'd make you an offer on that. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's true. It's like uh, Facebook Marketplace is awful, okay? Because if you look at my Marketplace, it's convertibles. That's all it is. Well, and leather briefcases. Uh, for some reason, I like that too. But it's all about convertibles. And, uh, and I was looking at uh, this week, you know, it doesn't have to be a Ford Fiesta. It could be a Corvette. That would be fine. And, uh, and uh, if you own a uh, dark red convertible and you live in Eagle and you're trying to sell it on Marketplace, I've seen it, okay? And I like it a lot, all right? And, and I was showing it to some people at work this week, um, a couple of people who are in their 20s, and, uh, and so they don't understand. And, and I showed it to them, and I said, what do you think? Should I, should I think about buying this? And one of them, she looked at me, and she said, John, you're so much better than that. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what you mean. <laughs> I'm not shopping for gold chains. It's not, it's, I just like convertibles. Uh, 
This idea of mass, I want to lean into a little bit further. It's a, you know, it's, it's June, it's summertime, it's going to get warm this week. So Nate's going to bring out an illustration that we're going to do this morning that kind of helps pose the question a little bit, uh, a little bit more. Give it up for Nate. You're not allowed to have beverages in the uh, auditorium, by the way, but now I'm not going to drink that because Nate did. Uh, okay, so here's our illustration. This side of the room, okay, you all are in college again, or you're going to be in college, or for some of you, that's right now. For some of you, you can remember being in college, and for others of you, we don't really remember that time of life, all right? But you're in college, and as most college students experience, you're broke. You have no money. It's the end of the semester. Remember what that was like? You know, you've spent all your money. Now you're just hoping to limp home so you can do some laundry to your parents and, uh, and get fed and make some money over the summer, right? And so you dig in your car, you dig in any place that you keep money, that little cup that sits on top of your dresser, whatever it is, and you find enough money to go to McDonald's, all right? Uh, and you're going to buy food, and it's going to be a great night. So you go and you buy not one but two Big Macs, okay, and, and a drink. And this is not a product placement. We're not getting paid by McDonald's. They were just kind enough to give us clean boxes, no grease. It, it's awesome. All right, so you're, you're ready, right? You've gone. You've spent your last dime. You have nothing to your name. You're sitting in, in your dorm room or your apartment. You're ready to sit down and eat, and who walks in? That guy, okay? There's always that guy in college, the guy who never has any money, He's never had any money. He, uh, he weighs like 125 pounds, even though he's 6'5", because he never eats. And, uh, and he comes walking in just as you're ready to take your first bite of your Big Mac. When I was in college, his name was Mike, all right? And Mike always showed up at this moment. Mike was the guy that if he borrowed your car, instead of putting gas in it, he'd put a piece of tape over the gas gauge so he wouldn't have to watch and worry about whether he's going to run out of gas. All right, that's how cheap Mike was, all right? So Mike walks in, he says, dude, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. I haven't eaten in like three months. And, uh, and I happen to notice you have two Big Macs. Uh, could I have one? Well, what do you do if you're in college and you don't have any money and, you, and you're sitting down to eat your two Big Macs? You give one to Mike, don't you? 50% of the food that you have in front of you, you say, Mike, you can have it. You can even have a drink off of my Diet Coke, right? All right, so you give that 50% to Mike. All right. Now, this side, you're older, hypothetically speaking, all right? Uh, and you all have been working for like 30 years, and you've been working hard. You've been, you've been diligent. You've been really responsible with your money. You've done everything right. And instead of buying a Big Mac, you bought a McDonald's franchise, all right? <laughs> In fact, you didn't just buy one, you bought, let's just say some crazy number, you bought 50, all right? You bought 50 McDonald's franchises. Congratulations, you guys have done really well, okay? All right, so you own 50 McDonald's franchises. I don't know what a a McDonald's franchise is worth. Uh, Let's just say a million dollars, because then I can do that math, okay? So you have $50 million in McDonald's franchises. Guess who shows up? Mike. Hey, Mike, you dirtbag. What are you doing here? 
oh, you know, I've been living on the beach in Mexico, doing a little surfing, drinking some Coronas, you know, not really much. And, and I thought I'd just come back and see you. I don't really have any money. Can I stay with you? And you're like, uh, I don't know, Mike. And he says, hey, how you been doing? What have you been doing? Oh, I've been working, cleaning greasy grates and, you know, messing with, you know, nasty microwaves and, and dealing with customers who don't think that their Happy Meal toy is really a, a toy and, you know, all that stuff. And, and, and Mike says, dude, remember when you hooked me up with half of your Big Macs? How about you give me half of your franchises? And we laugh, right? He's like, Mike, you're crazy, man. I don't know what happened in Mexico, but you're crazy. There's no way that what I work for, I'm not, I'm not going to give you half. And so Mike says, okay, fine. How about you just give me one? Just give me one of your franchises, dude. Hook me up. And I, and I thought about this illustration all week. There's something about the, the fact that, I mean, you all have $50 million now. Back then, you didn't have a dime. You have $50 million now, but the idea, there's something about the idea that if I, I'm not giving away 50% of all of this that I have, even though I'm probably more capable of giving away 50% today than I was when I gave Mike half of my Big Macs. And so there's something about this idea of generosity as, as, we, as we age, as we grow, as we do life. There's something about this notion of mass that I want to try to unpack today and I want to try to understand what, what Paul has for us. Um, and, and so Paul is writing now from uh, the church in Macedonia. So he spent time in Corinth, helped plant the church in Corinth, and we've been talking about that as we've gone through uh, chapters 1 and 2. Uh, uh, books one and two. Uh, and now he's gone from Corinth to Macedonia, and Macedonia is poor. Macedonia barely has two hamburgers. And, uh, but he's seen some amazing things there, and he's writing back to the church in Corinth, and he's saying, hey, Corinth, I want you to be a part of that. But, but there's one more thing, and then we'll get to the chapter. It's really critical that we don't miss this. Um, and this, for me, was, was kind of my week. Because when I first read this passage, it's Paul just saying, hey, Corinth, I'm coming and I'm going to collect money from you. All right? You're just going to write me a check. And, and as, I, as I read that, I was like, yeah, but that doesn't feel right to me. Uh, and and that, that conflict that I feel at that moment, it, it's like something's not right here. And, and as, I, as I wrestled with this passage, I realized that, that you know, if we've got to be really true to what Paul is doing here and what he's inviting the Corinthians into. Because I think a lot of us feel like God's just trying to get something from us. And we have to stop thinking that God is trying to do that. Because the reality is that God has done something for us. He sent his son to die, to be crucified, and to be resurrected so that by his shed blood we can experience life. God is not asking you to do something necessarily He's inviting you into something. He's not looking to rip you off. He's looking to give you freedom. And if we read this passage, or if you hear this message as, as just write a check, you're missing what Paul is trying to say. Paul is trying to say, 
Come on in and experience the nature and character of God because generosity is consistent with the nature and character of God and anything that is consistent with the nature and character of God is a good thing. We'll come back to this more, but I want to set that up as we turn to verse 1 in chapter 8 of, of 2 Corinthians. And so we'll pick it up here. Paul in Macedonia uh, uh, writing back to a very wealthy church. This is a 50 franchise church in, in, in Corinth. And, and Paul's saying, okay, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And and as I read that passage and I try to think about what's Paul saying, I think Paul's saying, wow, wow, I'm so impressed. This is a church that's, that's so poor. This is a church that's being persecuted for their faith. This is a church that has every difficulty that you can imagine, but they are giving with an abundance and an abundance of joy. He continues in verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Another version I read this week said it this way, what Paul is writing in verses 3 and 4, the circumstances that the Macedonians were experiencing triggered something totally unexpected an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there and I saw it for myself. People pleading for the privilege to help. I I don't know that I see that in my life very often. I don't know that I see me pleading for the privilege to be generous. And, and as I read this, what Paul is really saying is, you know what? The Macedonians completely get it. They understand that by grace they have been saved. They understand that the God of this universe loved them so much that he sent his son to earth and though he was rich, he became poor for them and their sakes so that out of his poverty, they could become rich. And as a result, they want to be generous with what they have. And I think, I wonder how incredibly humbling maybe this was for Paul. Because in 5 and 6, he says, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Another version put it this way, this was totally spontaneous. And it caught us completely off guard. The giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. And I think Paul, and kind of with a sense of humility, just has to say, man, this is awesome. These people who are hurting, these people who are impoverished, these people who are experiencing difficulty, and they're just saying, God, we love you and we want to step up. So much so that Paul says, you know what? I'm sending Titus back to Corinth because I want Corinth to experience the same thing that's being experienced in Macedonia. 
But I think verse 7 is the pivot here. And that's what we come to next. And and it's really so critical that we understand kind of what Paul is saying and what I think Paul is is saying to the church in Corinth. Because in verse 7, he says, Corinth, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. At Rock Harbor, our mission statement is to love and lead one another to be devoted followers of Jesus. And in some respects, I think that might be what Paul is saying here to the church in Corinth. Paul has been very, very direct with the church in Corinth. But in the beginning of Corinthians, he says, you have every spiritual gift. And he wants to lift this church up and he believes in the work that this church is doing. And I kind of get this sense that Paul is saying, you know what, I see you church in Corinth. I see what you're doing and I see that you are excelling in faith and in speech and in knowledge. And now I want you to excel in another attribute of God and that is in generosity. And I think about Rock Harbor and I think being an elder at Rock Harbor and I get to say to you, I see you Rock Harbor. I see your faithfulness. I see your knowledge. I see your desire for community. Quite honestly, I see your generosity. I see the way you give to each other. I see the way that you minister in the community. I see the way that you give to Rock Harbor and and the way that you've given to the building campaign. And I get to say, maybe as Paul was saying to the church at Corinth, I see you, Rock Harbor, and I love what you're doing. I see the growth in you. You're on the path. And that's kind of what church is about. This is what the church does. As people come in and are introduced to Jesus, as we live in community and share and grow, we become devoted followers of Jesus. And so Paul's saying, hey, I see the change. But for us, I think the important piece here is, and this is where we've really got to kind of lean in a little bit. Because when we're in relationship with each other, when we are walking this out, when we're seeking after Christ, when we're allowing the Spirit to work in us, some things start to come out. And those are the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Uh, we read what the fruit of the Spirit is, what starts to emerge as a result of that faithful walk with Christ and the work of the Spirit. We start to see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness. But I don't think that's an extensive or complete list. And, And I would add what Paul is writing back to the church in Corinth as one more characteristic of God generosity. So when I study stuff like this and, and I think about it and I, and I pray through it during the week and I, and I journal about it, here are the kinds of questions that I have to ask myself. And so you get, you know, scary as it may be, you get a free look into the mind of John Elliott this morning, right? You get these questions too, and, and I would like you to wrestle with these as I'm wrestling with them. How is your intimacy with God right now? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in yourself? Do people tell you that you're generous? Do you give of your time and your talent and your resources above expectation? 
does your success, financial or otherwise, affect your ability to be generous? Do the spending decisions you make limit how generous you can be? Do the decisions you make about free time or what you're going to do or hobbies or whatever limit your ability to be generous? See, I think those are good questions for us to wrestle with. I think those are at the heart of our heart. Because I think it's a pretty good indication that if the fruit of the Spirit is there and generosity is there, God is at work in you. And if he's not, I think you need to ask the question, why? Because the heart regulates the hands. And so this week, I had to ask myself, and I'll ask you, how's your heart? Okay, big moment there, right? All right, so now let's get on to uh, verses 8 eight through 10, because Paul, I think, at this point now, now he's just a cheerleader, and he's loving what he's seeing in Macedonia, and he's reaching out to Corinth, and he's saying, I want the same thing for you. And so in verses 8 through 10, here's what he says. And I love what he starts with. I say this not as a command. Okay, so Paul's not saying you have to be generous. You've got to do this. If you're in Corinth, you've got to do this. It's not what he's saying. But to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. And so he says to the church in Corinth, man, this is good for you. Generosity is good for you. And you started us down this path. You're the ones who said we wanted to do this. And so now look what's happened up here because of you. People are jacked up in Macedonia about giving. And now I want to remind you, don't lose track of who you are and where your heart's at. And it's so awesome to be able to say that about Rock Harbor too. Rock Harbor is a generous church. Rock Harbor is amazing in the way that it gives and serves and loves people and and does things. It it is so fun to be able to say to you, this is amazing. And then like Paul, I want to say, but you've started it. Keep it going. Keep leaning into God. Keep walking the walk of faith. Keep allowing the Spirit to work and keep seeing the fruit of the Spirit and generosity come. I want to close our time together a a little bit differently and and talk about uh, some things that have happened at Rock Harbor and and some of the things that that we've seen. And and I actually get the chance by permission to kind of pull the the curtain back a little bit with the staff. Um, It has been a busy spring at, at Rock Harbor. And I didn't remember how busy it was until I started writing some things down. And, uh, and we have an amazing staff. We have a staff that, uh, that love God, uh, that love each other, that are generous with their time. They're sacrificial. They love you. <laughs> they love you. And they love ministering to you and with you. And, uh, and they did, um, you know, amazing amounts of things this year. So we had the Christmas thing, and, and I don't remember how many services we had, but we had a lot. 
And then we took a little time off, and then it started running. In January, we launched community groups, and, and you know, more than half of you signed up for community groups, and, and we got that going. On January 13th, we had an amazing night of worship right here. And uh, it was a night of praise and, and worship. It was, it was incredible. And the staff did an incredible job of leading us into that night of worship. In February, we had baptisms and child dedications. In February, we also had the VIP leader appreciation night. And uh, the staff said thank you to those of you who serve. And there's so many of you who do. And, uh, and it was a great night. They got dressed up in tuxedos. And it was, you know, it was unbelievable. In March, we had a prayer night. Uh, March 16th, we, had, uh, we did Feed My Starving Children uh, over at the Boys and Girls Club, and many of you stepped up with uh, your families and others, and you went over and, and helped bag up food and uh, did an amazing work. Uh, and, and then we had building stuff kind of going on through that process, and then in, in uh, April, we had Love Week, and uh, we saw community groups step out into the, into the community and, and do some amazing things with Love Week. And then Easter came. And Easter was a little bit later this year. Even though the weather didn't feel like it, it fell later in the calendar. And we did nine services for Easter. And the, and the staff, you know, did an incredible job there. And, and then throughout all that, the staff is here at, you know, oh, dark 30, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., getting set up on Sunday mornings and tearing down and... and uh, and believe it or not, but they have families too, and they have things that they like to do. But you know, it, it was a, it was it was a, an important grind through the spring. And then we turned the calendar, and there was something on May second. And, and and May second, we had committed a long time ago to talk about to go over to Chief Joseph Elementary School and minister to kids and families who may not have as much as, as others. Chief Joseph uh, uh, is socioeconomically is, is a little bit lower in uh, the socioeconomic status. Probably 50% of their kids qualify for some kind of uh, food subsidy or meal subsidy while they're there. And it's something that we had committed to and we wanted to do as a way to step out as Rock Harbor and pour into the lives of some people. Uh, and, but as we turn the calendar, the reality is man, the tank was empty. Uh, there had been a lot of ministry. And, uh, and honestly, the staff, there was some conflict around, should we go ahead with Chief Joseph or what should we do? But there were a couple of women on staff with amazing character uh, who stepped up and, and started picking up the phone and making phone calls to many of you saying, we've committed to do this this is a, who Rock Harbor is. We want to place the banner of Christ high. We want to step in and do this. Will you volunteer again your time and talents and resources to help create an event for the kids and families over at, at Chief Joseph Elementary? And you did. And the staff did. And Rock Harbor did. And I want to do two things. I want us to watch the video of that celebration now in context. And I want you to see what it looked like that night at, at Chief Joseph. If you were there, you get to see yourself again. If you weren't, you get to see what happened. And I want you to listen to what the principal says while she's interviewed in the middle by Celeste in, in this short video clip. So let's, let's watch the video. 
this is incredible. This is, I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a larger turnout for a school event. And I, I do think that a lot of our families are here because you've offered it without charge. Uh, and this just makes us all so happy. These are our kids, our families, they're wonderful and love being able to have them all together. Yeah, you can give it up, that's fine. I love that video and I love what happened around this event because it was as Paul was inviting the church of Corinth, God was inviting Rock Harbor into this ministry to Chief Joseph Elementary. And you know what? Sometimes generosity and the need for generosity doesn't always come at the most convenient time. And there can be times when you're tired and, and kind of worn out, but then you see something like this and you realize that a funny thing happened on the way to this project. It didn't make the staff more tired. It filled them up. It didn't make volunteers more tired. I talked to a guy off stage after the first service and he started weeping and he said, I remember that day like it was yesterday because I looked in the faces of those kids and I saw in their eyes how much fun they were having and the joy that we were able to give them. And he said, I would do it over again in a second. And that's the adventure. This isn't about just, you know, somebody trying to force us to write a check. This is about, about Paul saying to the church in Corinth and God saying to us, come on in the journey. We've got so many amazing things. Accumulate, dominate, that's a thing. But I got a different path. And it's a path of freedom and joy and amazing grace. I want to fill in the blanks for you, uh, things that I kind of concluded from this study and from that video. So if you have your card and you've just been waiting for me to get to a blank, here I am. <laughs> that means some of you have. <laughs> I'm horrible at blank filling. <laughs> so I put it at the end to make sure we get it done. When you are generous, it encourages other people. When you are generous, it establishes and proclaims that the Spirit of God is active within you. When you are generous, it extends your blessing. When you are generous, it exalts God. When you are generous, it embodies your Savior. And when you are generous... It encourages and blesses your soul. That's a pretty good list. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, this place. I thank you for the people who walk in and out of the doors at Rock Harbor. I thank you for their generosity, for their desire to minister, and for their willingness uh, to do what you ask of them. And uh, pr uh, Father, I pray that you won't let us become complacent, that we will always seek to have intimacy with you so that you can continue to work on our hearts so that we can be changed. I thank you, Father, for uh, all that you do, and, and we have one simple goal, and that is that you would be glorified in all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.
Amen.